Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We need like a clapperboard or something. We do. I think that's what we're missing. <laughs> that's the thing that will make it perfect. Bring us to the next level. Welcome to Jim and Tomic's Musical Theatre Happy Hour, your weekly podcast with carols and carafes. Carol Channing, Carol Burnett, Carol Lawrence. Who's that? Carol Lawrence. Carol Lawrence was the original Maria in West Side Story. Was she now? Yeah. Maybe there was someone other than the famous Natalie Wood. <sighs> Carol Lawrence is also of Italian descent, I believe. Um, well, so. they're getting there. Yeah. This is Europe. <laughs> Um, hey, speaking of Italy, uh huh. What are you drinking today? <laughs> A nice cup of Italian coffee. Oh, I delicious. guess delicious. <laughs> what are you That's drinking? I'm drinking medicine. Ah, medicine. I'm sick. I'm sorry to hear that. It's okay. I've <laughs> accepted it. Yeah. Yeah. Well. <laughs> Mate, you'd think after, what, 40 episodes we'd be good at this? <laughs> no, not at all. Absolutely not. Um, Why? I think, do you know what? Do you know what I think is funny? Uh-huh. Is, it's because this is this opening bit has become, like, a skit. It really has. I mean? Yeah. An, unprompt, an unscripted improv skit. With, like, really strict parameters in its structure. It, exactly. Um <laughs> And that's uh, what people really listen for. Most hey, people Tommy. turn it off. <laughs> hey, Jimmy. What, what's the quiz question this week, sir? Our quiz question was the following. The yeah. actor who auditioned for the lead role in the musical, in this musical, knocked her audition so far out of the park that Sondheim remarked, let's open tomorrow. What show My was she auditioning for? Statement. Right? I think it was Passion. It was. Most people would say Passion. Passion. It was. 
merely from a glance in the park. So much happiness, so much love. I thought I knew what love was. I wish we might have met so much sooner. I could have given you. I thought I knew what love was. I thought I knew how much I could feel. I didn't know what love was. But now I do. It's what I feel with you. The happiness I feel with you. So much happiness. You are so beautiful. Happening by chance in a park. Not by chance, by necessity. By the sadness that we saw in each no other. No one else has ever felt before. Just another love story. That's what they would claim. Another simple love story. Aren't all of them the same? No, but this is more. We feel more. This, this is so much more, like every other love story. Some say happiness comes and goes. Then this happiness is a kind of happiness no one really knows. I thought I knew what love was. I thought it was no more than a name for yearning. I thought it was what kindness became. I'm learning. I thought where there was love, there was shame. That with you. But with you, there's just happiness and less happiness. Yes, Miss Donna Murphy, the one, the wonderful Donna Murphy. Yeah, man, the, she knocked out of the park. Yeah, this. I mean, do you think it's safe to call this one of her big breaks? Uh, yeah. I don't know her for anything else. Yeah, I wouldn't have known her for, <laughs> and like maybe that makes me a bad Donna Murphy fan, but I wouldn't have known her for anything as big before Passion. Yeah, yeah, certainly before. Ooh, yeah, because obviously, um, Mother Gottel. Right, of course. Afterwards, Donna Murphy all over the place, um, which is the name. But of then my new... also all over the place, but also, is it? <laughs> I know, I know. It's really I love Donna Murphy. She. Uh-huh. Fosca is one of her most wonderful roles because all the other stuff are these kind of character parts, like comical character parts, character uh in the proper sense, um, which I love her in and she does a great job with. But man, her is Fosca. Right. And that's the thing is it's like, well, here's this fantastic actress. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Who can act her nuts off. And yet, (laughs) Uh you know, I don't, I feel like I've, I've never seen that again. Yeah. Yeah, Personally. and I think it's I think it's why she does you know Mother Gothel and uh, the Witch and some of those roles so well is yeah. because they do have a big comic turn but are the dramatic evil villain to an extent, um, yes. and so there's like a connection with the character but also an understanding of comedic timing. Okay, that um, makes sense. That makes sense. You know, it's no it's no wonderful town that's for sure. But did you? Um... <laughs> well um <laughs> did you feature her in your into the woods witches video uh i believe she wins well there's a spoiler kid <laughs> <laughs> um well 
hey, if you want to find out why... Watch the video. And there's like nine other that come before her. So, you know. (laughs) Exactly. But hey, this isn't the Donna Murphy fan appreciation podcast, Tommy. It it is a little bit. It Um, is a little. Just in the smallest minutiae. No, but we're talking about passion today. Passion. Stephen Sondheim's passion. Hey, we're doing a Sondheim again. We're doing a Sondheim musical. I love it every time we do a Sondheim. Do you what? I love it every time we do a Sondheim. I do too. This is, we'll talk about it later, but this was, this is my last Sondheim. I, in a lot of ways. You've graduated. This, this was the one that, like, I hadn't done anything about or listened to that much or watched. And I did it for this podcast. And that's it. I've, I've seen it all, Jimmy. You've done it. Until he comes Still out with a new one. the frogs, don't you? I love the frogs. I don't love I know, the frogs. I don't forgot forget the frogs. I did forget about the frogs. You'll never live that day. <laughs> I also forgot about assassins, too. Which you forgot that I, I forgot about. Um, I've just forgotten you've forgotten about it because See? I hate you so much for forgetting about it. <laughs> Passion is Music and Lyrics by Stephen Sondheim and the book by James Lapine at the long end of a Lapine-Sondheim kind of collaborative journey. Yeah, we're kind of at the end of the Sondheim journey here. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? We're relatively present day. Yeah, save um, for maybe the, the Bounce Roadshow The set. Bouncy Roadshow, yeah. Yeah. Um, and this mysterious in the works, whatever right. it may be. Yeah. Um, which I really hope we get. We will. I really hope we get it. God, you hope you we get it? We hope we get it. How many musicals? No, it doesn't fit. Um, it opened on Broadway in 1994. So yeah, we really, this is contemporary. We're, we're pretty contemporary. And then it moved to the West End in 96. Um, Donna did. Murphy was in the 94 production and Maria Friedman. Was in the yes, 96 production. Maria Friedman. So I take it you will have no idea who Maria nope. Friedman is. Never heard of her. Well, let me tell you. So Maria Friedman was the first person who made me, uh, no, that's a lie, one of the first people uh-huh. that made me think, hey, musical theatre, that's cool. That's a legitimate art form, that is. Really? Um, and it wasn't in The Simpsons. It was in the other thing that I got all my musical theatre kicks from, Hey Mr. Producer, which I talk about all the time. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so she plays a couple of roles in it. Okay. Um, weirdly not passion, despite the fact it was mm-hmm. at that time. Um, but I don't think Cameron McIntosh produced passion. I doubt he did. I don't yeah. think McIntosh has ever produced a Sondheim. He um, has. He has. He has? Sondheim section. Yeah, well, that's, that's where Dueling Pianos comes from. Oh, you're totally right. Huh. Yeah. Um, but anyway, Maria Friedman sang mm. um, How Many Tears from Martin Gare. Okay. Uh, which is, is weird. <laughs> Martin Gare comes up a lot in this podcast. Well, it doesn't. It comes up twice. Um, this is the first time. Uh, uh-huh. But that song was just so breathtaking and her acting was perfect. And you'd watch, like, it's one of those, if you watched her sing uh-huh. that song, you'd be like, oh, okay, so you're going to play Fosca one day. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Because she's very, she's not your typical, like, lady. Okay. Jimmy put um, his hand under his chin when he did that in a uh-huh. cutesy kind of way. Yeah, For you like, not watching this audio podcast. She's not your kind of sexy... Laura Osnes lady. Mm-hmm. Um, she's sexy in her own way. Like Fosca. Like Fosca, exactly. Um, and she sings with, like, her acting through song was like, oh, it gives me shivers every time I think about it. So that'll be in the show notes. Literally just brought her up so I could put her in the show notes. I'm excited to watch it. Thank you. Um, the Passion won Best Musical, Book, and Score, and Best Actress. I do yes. think this show holds the record as the 
shortest running show ever to win Best Musical. Wow, um, there you go. It, it only ran for a couple hundred performances. Mm-hmm. Um, but it lost out on the Olivier. It did. It did indeed. Despite, I mean, again, critical success. Yeah. Um, but it was a big year. That was a big, big year. So it was 97 in the Olivier's. Mm-hmm. And we had um, Martin Gare. That's the second time. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Passion. And Nine all premiered really, that year. I, I don't know quite how to put it into words, but there's a there's a particular flavor to the sauce that year, don't you think? Between uh, those yes. three? like well, Completely. Like Martin Gare, Franz passion italy nine italy well, very romantic very yeah, centrist, like very seeped in these like deep imagery metaphorical like absolutely smoky kind of and yeah. all very just like legitimate musical theater like which yeah. is so strange for the 90s because yeah. that was the year of those are the dark ages (laughs) yeah exactly so very very strange that we had this and uh, quite unfortunate i guess because we all all these great shows came at the same time right like very specifically at exactly the same time (laughs) exactly um and so passion didn't win but that's okay because maria friedman won the Olivier for best Uh, actress so that's all fine Um, and you can watch the original production of passion it was filmed you can. Uh, it's one of like I feel like Sondheim is the master of doing this. He loves yeah. to televise his yeah. uh, his shows. And if you is, if you've purchased the Sondheim DVD set, like I have, it's been sitting in your DVD set for years, and you didn't even know. Um, Jimmy, did you know Sondheim calls this film adaptation, the filming of the stage version of Passion, the most successful filming adaptation he's ever seen of a musical? Well, there you go. High praise. Now, when did he say that? Uh, on the DVD commentary, maybe a decade later. Interesting, because I know he said good things about all of his other ones. Yeah, since. I wonder how it falls in. I do. He did seem to be very specifically talking about the filming of the stage the version, stage show, okay, as opposed to something like the Johnny Depp Sweeney Todd or the Meryl yes. Streep into the Woods, where it's like adapted for the film. Yeah. Um, okay. Good. And like effectively translating the stage language to the screen. Uh-huh. So, um, what's out of interest? What's uh-huh. your favorite stage to film adaptation? You know, after seeing Passion, Passion does a really good job. Um, yeah, and I do. I do think favorite is a different question than accuracy. Um, yes, yeah, no. What's the one that you just enjoy the most? That's yeah. what I want to know. Um, it's probably Into the Woods, but you know, because of all sorts of reasons. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What, what about you? Um, mine would be like in the piazza. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. I didn't think about that, but that seems very faithful too. Yeah, definitely. I would, I would really, you, you know, it's on a stage. I feel like that's, yeah. the, that's the bit when I really like it. Yeah. Um, I also really like Rent's film Live on Broadway. The, yeah. The that's a good one. I will say, it, you know, this gets blurry because I also think high on the list, um, the actual film version of the producers, the musical, right? Matthew Broderick, Nathan Lane. But on, no, no, no. The film adaptation. Oh, yes, um, yes, 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 yes. But the film adaptation might as well be the musical. Yeah. Um, it's all like fourth wall removed, one angle on basically the sets. Um, I would like, if we're, you know, if I have a bazillion infillion dollars, that would be the style I want all of my musicals adapted to on screen. Yeah, just that be? just a little bit more, um, yeah. and it's weird because that movie got kind of panned. Um, Did it? But yeah, it didn't do very well. Um, Let's talk about that later. Yeah, another day. Um, 
It was revived. We're only here. It was revived on the West End and off Broadway. Mm-hmm. Um, Patty Lapone was in it. They did a Lincoln Center concert in two thousand five. Yeah, so Patty was pegged to be Fosca right at the start, like pre Donna Murphy. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it was like written for her, right? But I can completely appreciate why you would have her in mind. Yeah, um, because she would have obviously just come out of Evita. And she would, I think by this time as well, she'd have played Fontaine. So she's, okay. you know, I mean, tragic females. Yeah. She's got, like, yeah. she's got like, them in the bag. Definitely um, the pipes, you know. And by that point, a name too, which is kind of yes, useful. Yes, exactly. And guess what she did instead? What did she do instead? Sunset. Well, it was the right choice at the time. I know, but I bet you she kicked her boots. Yeah. Do you know I bet what I mean? you she did. Well, I That's don't know. Not a phrase, but it, it's okay because in the 2005 they did a Lincoln Center concert. Yeah, she got to play it because I think, to be honest, I think that's fantastic casting. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really good. I, sure. you know, it's the over under of like, would we have Donna Murphy if we had Patti Lapone? Very true. Um, yeah, that's it. Is it's like it's not like uh, if only, but like, right. it, yeah, you know, it would have been sweet. interesting. She interesting to, to contemplate the, the alternate universe. But that's yeah, because she wouldn't have had to have the ordeal with Al Dobbs. Yeah. yeah, who knows where we'd be now? There'd be no Andrew Lloyd Webber Memorial Pool. Oh, I don't want to think about that world. <laughs> so what is this show that we're talking about, Tommy? Passion. <laughs> that we've made it this deep into the podcast and not even done a little yes. summary. I mean, I think of, I would really say of Sondheim's shows, this yeah. one has the most straightforward story. Presented okay. linearly, like maybe three or four main characters, one or two settings, um, uh-huh. climactic in its entirety. There's yep. not a lot of, like, weirdness going on. Yep. Um, yes. So, passion is the... It's a story of love. Kind Completely. of. Completely. Love and and sex and all in, that's in between. Yeah. It's a story of passion. Um, it is. So, oh, God. Giorgio? Giorgio. Giorgio. That was cute. Thanks. Giorgio. Um... <laughs> They never say his name throughout most of the show. That's not true. They say it a million that's times. completely um, a lie, but that's okay. It's okay. I know how you are. Um, Giorgio is, is a military man. Um, we open the show. He and uh, his lover, Clara, are uh, in flagrante delecto. I don't know if that's Hello. right. Did I do All that right. right? You can say in flagrante delecto, but you can't say Giorgio. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Um, yes, they are. Shh, don't tell anyone they're having an affair yeah um very and like very much you know it's about the sex and the love i would say um yeah at least at yeah. the beginning um, and it's like the love that they've they've kind of made together it's one of the big things that that this show talks about is the many different shades and sides of love yes yes and so um, we start with one shade of love yes um and Giorgio, being a military man, gets called away to another battalion. I don't mm-hmm. understand the terminology. In, I think it's uh, an outpost is the term. Yeah. Like, yep. a tiny little town, tiny little battalion has to leave. Yep. Um, then what and, happens? Yep. So there he meets uh, Fosca, mm-hmm. who is an extremely ailing, um, and they always use the word homely Describer, yeah. which I find hilarious. It's a, it's an um, easy way to say not too attractive. Exactly. Um, she's very very sick, 
and ailing and homely. Yeah, um, and and also pale and has bad hair. Yeah, she's <laughs> she's she's sick in the same way that she's homely. That it's like she's sick. She's decrepit. With what? Who cares? Um, exactly. Well, I think it's like I quite like the ambiguity of it's it. It's really so interesting. You never, yeah, yeah, you never find out what's wrong with her. And they the never closest is this. The closest we get is the doctor. I think at one point says something like. It's as if her nerves, nerves are more exposed to the world. Exactly. Which is, like her nerves are on the surface while we have skin to cover them. Which is really interesting and, yes. I think, important as we go through the plot. Yes, definitely. Um, so she's very close to death, even. It's, it's not just like, oh, I've got this ongoing cold. She's, right. she's, to watch, she's at the end, basically. Yeah. And is prone um, to uh, loud screams. <laughs> Outbursts. Yes, these big convulsions, these nervous yeah. convulsions that she um, gets. That most of the army men at this outpost, um, including her cousin, who is the general, who is the boss yes. of Giorgio, um, yes, kind of pass off as like, oh, yep, there she goes again. Crazy old Fosca. Yes, they're um, so used to it now. Yeah. Um, but and, of course. Giorgio is like, ah. Uh. So they, they meet and they have this connection because they're kind of a bit more into... Well, it basically all starts with Giorgio giving her some books because she mm-hmm. loves reading. Um, and they kind of find that connection through there and, and Fosca very, very quickly falls in love with Giorgio. Yeah. Um, and obviously Giorgio has Clara and obviously she is... Not, I don't want to say repulsive, but in many ways repulsive well, um yeah and she doesn't repellent exp- maybe that's repellent repulsive. yeah she she expl- she expresses her love um in uncomfortable ways yeah i would no say certain terms she's very much no holes barred yeah and she understands that it's not returned right but yet she won't be polite about that and will very much kind yes. of force it in his face and, and be very explicit about yeah. it and um, most of the show is them grappling with that, I would it say. It is. It very much so. Very, very much so. And, and how the, that feeds into Clara yep. and his relationship with her um, and their dynamics. And there's, it's, you, you know, we couldn't, we would spend a whole podcast kind of explaining the intricacies of how it develops. Yeah. Um, um, but it, it's, but, it's, a, it's a talk about love and like how it plays into Fosca's health. Uh, and like, what is appropriate love and appropriate expression of love? Yes. Um, yeah. Completely. Um, and it's it's just very smart. Yeah. Safe it's to very say. it's very dramatic. I would say it's not very dramatic. It is. It's, I think it is a romantic story, but I wouldn't uh-huh. call it a romance. No, no, definitely not as we know it. Yeah. If that makes um, sense, it it reminds it weirdly reminds me a lot of Piazza. Yeah, I would say the same thing in in style. Um, in you know, they're both Italian too. Yeah, exactly. um, that's it. It's just I just you know I can totally see Adam Gattel listening to this a lot whilst yeah. writing Light in the Piazza yeah. because it's a very well, unconventional love story. Yeah, set in Italy with this romantic score that's very deep and dark and sumptuous and and it, yeah. it's it's about the stakes of love being the highest stakes in the world. Exactly, you know, relationship is the end all. Um, yes, um, very much so. Um, so shall we get in, get on into it? Let's let's get on with it. I so enjoyed the novel by Rousseau. Oh, it's wonderful. My favorite, really. The character of Julie is a great mystery. You should have kept the book longer to meditate over. I do not read to think. 
I do not read to learn. I do not read to search for truth. I know the truth. The truth is hardly what I need. I read to dream. I read to live. In other people's lives, I read about the joys the world dispenses to the fortunate and listen for the echoes I read to live to get away from life No, Captain, I have no illusions I recognize the limits of my dreams I know how painful dreams can be Unless you know they're merely dreams There is a flower Which offers nectar at the top Delicious nectar at the top And bitter poison underneath The butterfly that stays too long and drinks too deep is doomed to die I read to fly to skim I do not read to swim I do not dwell on dreams I know how soon a dream becomes an expectation How can I have expectations? Look at me! No, Captain, look at me! Look at me! I do not hope for what I cannot have. I do not cling to things I cannot keep. The more you cling to things, the more you love them. So I want to speak a little bit about love. This is this is a theory I'm developing. Okay. I'm excited to hear it. Um... And I don't know how founded it is. It's just a theory I'm developing, you know, as of this yeah. week. Whilst yeah. I've been researching. And maybe one day I'll write an essay on it. Maybe it'll get should. published. Maybe. And maybe I'll... they become famous. Dr. So I, I love thinking about patterns, okay? Mm-hmm. That's a human thing, right? We as humans, we find the patterns of mm-hmm. things. Um, and I feel like passion is the kind of last in the sequence mm-hmm. um, of a part of Stephen Sondheim's life. I, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, no, no. Rhetorical. I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. I want you to explain it and then I have something to add. Excellent. Okay, cool. Um, you know, if you, if you know a little bit about Sondheim, you'll know he loves to talk about love in mm-hmm. many different ways and never the ways that you think. Um, mm-hmm. And we kind of tease this in one of the other Sondies, maybe Little Night Music? Maybe, Perhaps. that sounds right. I can't remember. But we kind of talked about the fact, maybe it was Sweeney even, but we kind of talked about the fact that Sondheim's a gay man. Yes. And was a gay man in times when being a gay man wasn't the easiest of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's a very private man. Um mm-hmm. And he's a very complex man. He's, a, yes. he's an artist, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
And so, as an artist, what he would, in my head, in my imagination, what he would do to process these difficulties and challenges would be to write about them. Mm -hmm. But he isn't the type of man to write an explicit gay love story. Right, he's not William Finn. Exactly. Very, very, very key point. He really isn't. Yeah. Um, And so he uses art and he uses this kind of symbol of love Mm -hmm. and translates it through different musicals. So if you look at kind of the journey between the following shows, so if you look at the journey between Company um, into Little Night Music, Sweeney, Mm -hmm. where we're seeing many different shades of of love already, Mm -hmm. Um, Company is this man who rejects love completely mm-hmm. and doesn't understand it and you know originally company was supposed to end with him being like marriage is stupid right and then it, they were like that doesn't work hang on yeah let's change yeah. this right being alive like they did but you know that his intention was to write this thing that was like no marriage yeah. um then we've got li- little night music where you know if you look at someone um like uh desiree Mm-hmm. Um, it's this, it's like, love can be heartbreaking, love's dangerous. It's all very dark-sided. Mm-hmm. Sweeney, very dark-sided. Very, very dark-sided, yeah. <laughs> um, then we get into something like Sunday. Yeah, it feels like a bit of a breakthrough there, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a new time, and he's really mixing the two together. He's Sunday, to me, is a big commentary on love and art, yeah. and how the, there's a struggle and a power play between the two. Mm-hmm. Um and then we get to passion. Mm-hmm. And I feel like here, Sandy's like, I've kind of got it. Like, to me, this is his being alive moment. This is when he's saying, okay, I understand that you need to be honest. You need to be at this kind of brink, yeah. almost. I mean, to- what it, doesn't Giorgio say at one point, love isn't something you... you- get it's something you give it i'm simplifying but like there's that discussion of that he Mm -hmm. has a conversation with fosca about like it's not like why can't you love me it's like is that when they're on the bed uh no it's earlier it's at the oh i think oh when they're out walking when they're out walking like how dare you yeah um i think who knows yes um yes uh and he's he's, yeah singing with clara and and yeah and and he's grappling with this too because like if love isn't something you get it's something you give clearly she's giving a whole bunch so then what is his appropriate response to that Mm -hmm. um exactly and so like i'm not saying that passion is the perfect picture of love mm -hmm. but what passion is is i think it's the most honest portrayal yeah and it's the most human portrayal yeah that he's ever written yeah um and it's it's so it, what we were saying about Fosca having her nerves exposed. This is what I think he's realized is that in order to find love and to be loved, you need to expose your nerves. Yeah. And you need to let yourself out there. And mm-hmm. as a very introverted man and as a very private man, I can imagine how difficult that must be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So he talks about it in an article, put it in the show notes. It's, I think it's with the New York Times. Um, and it's just kind of an interview about his life, but it's around the time of passion. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, he talks about whilst writing it, mm-hmm. he had an epiphany. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't, I read into that as he met someone. Uh-huh. Um, because before it, he, he he said that he'd never been in love. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, 
before. Uh, and then he goes on to say he had an epiphany. And I'm like, well, so I imagine I can understand right. what that means. Yeah. Um, and to me, and me and being an artist and being lovely and romantic, I love the idea that this show was a part of th- almost therapy for him to be able to come yep. through something and and kind of be able to expose himself to that wor- world. Yeah. I, I think I like... You know, it is hard to psychoanalyze someone from far away. And right, that you've never as, met and you've never spoken right. to. Right, and as much as we do it, like, whether Sondheim is this, you know, has puts all these words into his art or not, like, yes. art's great anyway. But I do, there seems something very valid about this and very, it feels think? right. Yeah, I do. I would say, you. so your list goes Company, Night Music, Sweeney, Sunday, Passion. I yeah. think you need to put one more at the end there. Um, I think you need to put Bounce Roadshow. Um Okay. Very specifically, so I don't know Bounce Roadshow very well as, as far as the differences are concerned, because uh, that's kind of hidden. Um, they don't talk yes. about the revisions that happened between them, because it seems like it's been quite the difficult thing. But in Sondheim on Sondheim, um, he very specific, like it's an interview. He talks about the song, The Best Thing That Ever Has Happened, mm-hmm. which is a love song that was originally written in Bounce for a heterosexual couple. That right. he rewrote for Roadshow to be about a homosexual couple. Well, there you go. And I think if we're counting, like, the saga of Sondheim's love and, like, how he explores that in his musicals, mm-hmm. it fits right into the narrative. If he has this epiphany and passion about discovering how love actually works, and then his discussion of love goes from being, like, an implicit metaphor through characters and feelings in Company Night Music, Sweeney, and Sunday, mm-hmm. to this kind of overt discussion in a heterosexual relationship in Passion, to then the discussion of it in a homosexual relationship in yeah. Roadshow. Yeah. That's, I mean, that feels, you know, there is the prototypical gay man's journey that mm-hmm. I think we see, that I have felt in my life, that I think we see in a lot of fiction that comes from that world. It, yep. it, it fits that. And, and yeah, and a completely generational thing. We know that me and you, we've mm-hmm. lived in, we're the lucky ones. Because yeah, we went through this in a microcosm of maybe a year or two. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We feel like we've seen the darkness when we really, really haven't. Whereas, right. you know, he was there in the 60s. Yeah. And one, two, good. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, obviously being in a community where there's lots of gay men mm-hmm. um, and kind of seeing how I'm sure they, they can't be themselves in this industry. Do yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. The the, the commentary that he makes in, in Merrily mm-hmm. um, about L.A. and kind of the, the importance of the image and things in L.A., mm-hmm. um, he's very wise to this. He understands yeah. that yeah. image is a big, big thing. Yeah. Um, and... And certainly, I don't think even Sunday, but like of all of these, he's explicitly stated these aren't autobiographical. And I don't exactly. think we're, we're saying that. Absolutely not. But, but you write what you know. You write what you know. And he knows this. He has yeah. opinions on love. Yeah. Um, yeah. Your experience has to come from somewhere. You have to write from somewhere. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You can't, you can't manifest a part. Right. You can't just create something from nothing. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I just feel it makes me just it makes me feel really happy. Yeah, I don't know why, because I just feel like it's any anyone accepting. Like for example, recently with Barry Manilow, for example, is a great right. great yeah. example. I am so happy that at this time in his life, he's been able to accept it and be able to mm-hmm. 
be so open and about it and that you know got so much love from the community yeah um i can only imagine how pleasing that must be and i'm not saying sometimes obviously not in the closet right um, but he did come out in his career like yeah you know, there's, it's, I mean, not to bring up on Sondheim again, but it's the, I think the easiest way to experience Sondheim's life, but yeah, it's a very, exactly. a very touching moment when he finally talks about being in a relationship and finding someone and, you know, it's Completely. heart, it's heartwarming. It's very heartwarming. And we obviously care a lot about him because he's the king Deeply. Um, and we want this new musical to come. So please, uh, <laughs> we, you know I mean? like take um, your time, you'll do it right. And if exactly. you need any, if you want anyone to like read a draft, you know, jimandtomic at gmail.com. We'll, we won't tell anyone. Yeah, we're very caring about you. We know stuff. So <laughs> just let us. Um, but I, I don't know. I think there's something so beautiful and artistic and I, I trust I trust him and art a lot. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like this weird meta journey, yeah. this meta musical that we're going through, right. um, is just so beautiful and yeah. poignant. And, and how interesting that you derive so much happiness out of what I would peg as mm, kind of a tragedy in this story. There's yes, moments of happiness, but, but for yeah. the most part, this is a sad story. It's full, it's full of sadness, that's for sure. But yeah. I feel like, because Fosca, before she dies, yeah, it she has ends, the love that she's always been yeah, waiting for. Yeah, you know it, I mean? it, it ends on an upswing, but, you know, this is not a feel-good kind of show. No, it's yeah, it's an upswing, but it's kind of off to the side. Yeah, <laughs> a little yeah. Bit. Um, and just, yeah, it's it's uh, this show is a beautiful commentary on love. I feel like this is the one where he's like, okay, we'll talk about it. Mm-hmm. Fine. And he creates... Fosca. Yeah. No, obviously yeah. this isn't an original work. It's based on based on a film. Yeah. Well, maybe we should do a transition because I think that has to do with our next point. Forty days. Where does he get all the luck? Forty days. The man is sick, but forty days. Yes, he's sick of being stuck in the sticks. Who isn't? In Milan. He's gone because it's getting pretty thick with the Signora. Gentlemen, he better get out quick from the Signora. Gentlemen, that's not an easy trick with the Signora. Gentlemen, you know what I think? We need another drink. I'll say. I'll say. I'll say. I'll say. I'll say. Hey, Drew Scott here, and I'm Jonathan Scott, reminding you that life's better with a home policy from American Family Insurance. They can help you get just the right protection at just the right price and help you save when you bundle home and auto. Kind of like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. It'll be just right for you. We love a custom build. American Family Insurance. Insure carefully. Dream fearlessly. Get a quote and find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Um, so, Passion is based on an Italian film. You ready yep. for me to butcher this? I am pa- so ready. I'm so ready. Pas- Wait, let me get it up so I can see what you're doing. Yeah, go. Pa- passione d'amore? Passione d'amore. Passione that was, that d'amore. That's pretty damn good, Tommy. All right. Passion of Love. Um, in Italian. <laughs> it's a it's a 80s movie. Um, very... So, I didn't watch it, but I, like, skipped through it. Um, okay. It's... If you've watched Passion and you skip through the movie, you'll be like, oh, oh, yeah. Oh, this is great. Um, this, yeah. The reason I wanted to skip through the movie, so th- this is this is a new musical for me. Um, and so I watched the film, 
Mm-hmm. the dvd version um and then was paging through it because it's one of the few one few musicals i've watched on like dvd as opposed to netflix or you know elsewhere um yep. and there's a special features button and i was like oh this is interesting and one of the options it just said commentary and i hit play because my thought was like who on earth did they find like seven years later to sit down and watch this thing to like talk over it f- uh-huh. for an hour um and it's stephen sondheim james lapine donna murphy marion mazzy um and the guy giorgio um amazing whatever Bam, that actually is jerry something jerry something jerry um, doing the the commentary on it and let me tell you if you've been sitting on a dvd of passion and haven't watched this commentary highly recommended amazing <laughs> it's really good it's like um do you know those videos i make where i watch a movie and talk over it uh-huh. it's exactly like that but it's stephen sondheim and james lapine i just can't <laughs> um, think of what that would be like at all it's, it's re- one of those because I've done DVD um, commentary before. Uh-huh. Like, so if I, for example, the Lord of the Rings one, I've listened to all of them. Uh-huh. Um, and it's like, you can listen to the one where it's like The Hobbits. Uh-huh. Or you can listen to the one where it's like um, Sean Astin and uh-huh. Elijah Wood. Or you can listen to the one that's like Orlando and Vigo. And, mm. uh, it's it's like all, all, what, five of them at once? All together. Oh, just, yeah. just talking over each other. And it's like insider production stuff and like talking about audiences. And to your point here, a lot about the staging of it. Okay, so cool. a lot of the staging in this show, um, a lot of what drew Sondheim to the show, I learned from this commentary, mm-hmm. is some of the staging and the imagery of the original movie. Um, he talks about the moment when Fosca descends the staircase, which right. looks a lot like it does on stage, um, except in the movie, she's behind these kind of, like, distorted glass windows, slowly descending the staircase. Okay. And, it's and like, she walks up to it in silhouette, and you don't see what she looks like. It's beautiful. It's yeah. wonderfully staged. Um, and, like they did exactly the same thing on stage. Um, you you walk through this movie, you know, and then they're sitting at the table and they all look exactly the same. And like, right. Fosca's sitting next to him and the doctor's sitting over there. And like, it's, you know, and then they have the scene where like, Fosca's sitting in the big chair and like, he's sitting in the little chair, all the same, straight That's through. so interesting. It is like, and it's weird because we talk about adaptations all the time. Uh-huh. This is... I think one of the most honest adaptations I've ever seen of a movie. There you um, go. But no one, what makes this one different is no one's going to see Passion because they loved the original movie. Right. Exactly. You know, yeah, it's kind of exists in its own. Whereas, like, everyone who goes to see Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is going because they've seen the movie. Yeah, of course. Um, which is so fascinating. But it really affected, it really seemed to affect Lapine's staging. Um, because they wanted to be a faithful representation of the movie. I love that. Yeah. Well, I guess that, because I know when he watched it, it was like an instant. Yeah. I need, this needs to be a, mu- a yeah, musical. Yeah, right away. I don't know how it's going to work, but it needs to be a musical. Yeah. Sondheim, uh, he, he says, when she descended the staircase, um, and the way Giorgio looked at Fosca, mm-hmm. you could tell... The, in Sondheim's words, it's something like, you could tell that it wasn't that Fosca was going to fall in love with him, but this was going to be a story of Giorgio falling in love with her. Yeah. Um, and, like, he got it. He picked it up right away. He was yeah. right. And, like, then it became his journey to recreate that on stage with music. Amazing. That's so fab. Isn't that cool? And is it the exact same story? 
pretty much. Um, so this is, so we talk about one of their big problems with the staging of the show, um, mm-hmm. and they talk about it all the time in the commentary, is people would laugh. Yes. Um, people would find things funny. Or um, Donna Murphy talks about it. She's mm-hmm. devastated about it. When they meet, oh, on the hill or the shore or the rocks and her hands are bloody. Um, yes, before he carries her. Before he carries her. Yeah. So, you know that moment when like she walks away and then falls down and collapses she Uh said it was one of her worst moments on stage one night she did that and the audience cheered and they were so thankful that this annoying awful character was dead okay we need to pause and talk well don't pause keep going but talk about that and break yeah apart what's going on there so audiences didn't respond like they wanted them to they would laugh at inappropriate moments they would um murphy talks about how like ladies would find her and tell her she was one of the most hateful atrocious people ever um for like playing this character on stage something about fosca didn't play as sympathetic and they couldn't tease out why and i think this has this absolutely translates into its short run and its polarizing ideal because if fosca doesn't translate as sympathetic at all this is an awful story about a mean lady who deceives a guy who had a fine life into this awful awful dark corner of the world which Uh is not the point but it becomes the point very quickly. Um, they they talked about when um, Fosca finds him on the train, uh-huh. setting up her entrance right there was monumentally difficult because you think, oh, thank God he's gotten rid he's of her. Away. Yeah. And like she shows up and you're like, ah, oh, shit, she's back. Um, but that's not the point of the scene. The point of yeah. the scene is it's Giorgio's moment to be like, no, you stop. And like to see his reaction, but it didn't play that way. Um, and you know, the, who knows why they were at like a really big theater. It was like a thousand seat house, which this is a more intimate show than that. Uh-huh. Um, you know, is it the makeup? Is it, what is it? And like they, they fixed it, but sometimes talks about red flagging moments when people laughed every night. Uh-huh. Um, like, there's one moment where Clara sends Giorgio a lock of her hair in a letter. It's not in the final show, because people laughed at it. But it was in the show, because it was in the movie. Um, okay. There's, like, a character whose name... Oh, I'm gonna get it wrong, but it's, like... Uh, it might as well be General Uglio or something. <laughs> or, like, something so ridiculous. Uh-huh. But, like that's his name it's like you know we're very clearly in the same way that i think uh clara is light and fosca is darkness like yeah yeah yeah, we're we're saying that with names but that other name got a laugh so they cut it um a lot of like managing and rewriting the show was like figuring out how to get people to not laugh at it i do right so i find this really fascinating isn't that crazy point of view so because i've been there before i've been you know watching my show and watching the audience and Mm -hmm. you're sitting in you're sitting on a knife edge because you're like a you don't want anything to go wrong right um and b you're just you're gazing at them to see what do you think are you wrapped are you bored yeah are you are you laughing inappropriately and it does happen a lot yeah um and it's a complete to me it's a complete psychological thing Mm mm-hmm because people laugh as a response to catharsis. Right. Um, and it's like you reach that point where you can go two ways. Yeah. 
and you can laugh or you can cry. Yep. And I feel like this show is exactly that. Yeah. And people, because because it's not a simple choice. Yeah. Right? It's not a the the um, ridiculousness of the end of Romeo and Juliet, where right. oh my god, you've killed yourself. She's alive, you idiot. It's right. not that. It's not that. Yeah. Outpouring. Um, it's much more subtle and it's much more complex. Yep. Do you know what I mean? Because Fosca isn't, you don't instantly sympathise with her. Right. Do you know what I mean? And it yeah. takes you a long, yeah. long time to and, come around to Fosca. And you you might not, and like, that's okay. Exactly, exactly. You know, that's, that's the challenge of the show, I think. Very much so. Because you, you have to understand that Fosca is a real person. Right. Not in Earth, but as in... You right. know, the Based idea reality. of Fosca and who Fosca represents yeah. Yeah. is, you know, we all have that within us. Yeah. Um, and I find it very, I find it really interesting because to me, what that says about these audiences are that they weren't willing to let themselves cry. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely so the point. Laugh. I, I do think you are very spot on with the catharsis because you you know it's an hour forty minute one act with yep. no applause breaks. Yeah, none of the music is written in this with a button or to end. It all flows into the next thing. You don't have a break to acknowledge that this is a performance. Exactly, um, and so you are like forced to acknowledge these characters as real people the yep. whole time, um, and that's rough. This is, it's this very, is, it's extremely it's extremely challenging as an audience member. Um, yeah. And I I wonder as well, so we're we are we're the nineties here. Yeah. And like we said earlier, it's a different time. Yeah. Now obviously the Tonys were like, hey, we're gonna throw you a bone here, musical theatre. Right. Um here you go. Um but it's you know, if you looked out onto Broadway at this time, you'd be seeing lots of different things and you'd yeah. be allowed to laugh and you'd be allowed to applaud and you know, you were getting to that stage where musical theatre was getting its right. rip, was yeah. starting to develop, right? Yeah. And here you come into this expecting a musical. Right. You you know it's Sondheim. Right. And you feel, oh, he's he's that good guy. He did that Woods one, right? Yeah. Oh, that's so fun. That is yeah. so fun. That Let's show. go for another fun night at the theatre. Exactly. And this, is, this is not I a fun night Zero at the Mustel, theater. He was in funny thing. Yeah, he's so funny. I love yeah. it. Let's go. What is this? Why has she got a mole? Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? And I can, I can get it. I can yeah. see why well, they would be like the the other thing they talk about, and I think this is true too. And who knows? You know, it's straight out of the movie, so you can't. And they're trying to to stick to that, so you can only do so much uh-huh. rewriting. But you think how this show starts which I think is appropriate, but it's very salacious. It's nudity. Yep. Um, they yeah. mentioned on the audio recording, other than Hair and, oh, I don't remember the other one, they, the other musical they mention, but uh-huh. it, they're pretty sure they're the, just the third musical to do nudity on stage. Wow. Um, right? 1994. Who knew? Um, That's interesting. Yeah. But then again, I'm like, yeah, I, can't, I couldn't tell yeah. you off the top of my head. They've done it like in the original. Right. Um but you start out with this like lush, very serial, romantic, salacious bedroom scene, yeah. um, you know, lit very like 
it's filled with ambers and pinks and like you know uh, like ooh what what kind of saucy tail is this gonna be it's yeah. not <laughs> it's not like yeah. that's as that's as sexy as this show is going to get probably yeah um and so like that and it, you know it's important you're we're setting up our baseline here um but as an audience member that's really disarming definitely um, especially because it's Mara and and you're like, that's mother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's mother from Ragtime. <laughs> I can see a move. Oh, um, they, yeah. have a, they have a long conversation on the DVD commentary about where everyone's microphone is. <laughs> right. Ooh. It's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Hers is in her wig. Oh, good. Good. Yeah. I'm glad. Um, but I, yeah, I find it very interesting. So I think it's important to note that um, critically, the mm-hmm. critics... The people with the the big scrutinous eye yeah. loved this, yeah, and were head over heels with it because it was so refreshing mm-hmm. and so different, yeah, in many ways. Um, and I think I don't know. I, I I've never seen a stage production of it myself. I've only ever seen the the, the filmed version. Um, but I imagine going into it and feeling like I've just watched a, a play. Yeah, it so does I mean, feel a straight it, play. It does feel like a play with music. Mm-hmm. Um, because um, it's not even where we, you know when we talked about Piazza, um, that's very operatic in its, yeah. its tones and it's talking about love and these very grand things. Mm-hmm. I feel like passion's almost the the yin to the yang or vice yeah. versa um, of that, where it's so much more diluted and distilled mm-hmm. um, that you've got this little concentrated pellet of love that you need to try and pick apart. Um, so the recent off-Broadway revival mm-hmm. um, with the glorious Judy Kuhn mm-hmm. um, kind of, I think, gets it better. It gets yeah. it more right because it's a bit more... It's a bit... This will sound stupid, but it's a bit more wanky in its staging. Okay. Right? It's it's a bit... It treats it more like a stage play. I'm not saying yeah. stage plays are wanky. Like, right. But as in, it's more abstract and a bit more intellectual about it and yeah um it, it, you know isn't aiming for realism at any point here um it uses a lot of political theater techniques and epic theater techniques mm-hmm. um where uh you know it's there's only some chairs that yeah. they use and they dress the set accordingly yeah, um, yeah yeah so i to me i think that if i was going in to watch that I would almost get it more as an audience member because I feel like I would I would know I'm like, oh, it's one of these shows. Do you know what I mean? If I was yeah. expecting a big fun into the woods romp, right. then I would be like, you know, seeing passion the way it's done with its grand moving sets and mm. lovely set pieces, blah, 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 blah. I can imagine being tricked into that fourth wall illusion. Right. Whereas this... Um, Judy Kuhn revival, I think it was directed by John Doyle, uh-huh. um, much more intimate um, and much more focused through the eyes of Giorgio. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key too. Definitely. Um, because then it kind of plays with the fourth wall a little bit more mm-hmm. and it kind of brings you in. Yeah. Um, and so I, I can't imagine you'd have an excuse to laugh. Right. Yeah. Because you'd be too close to the audience. Um, yeah. Or the actors. Um, yeah, I think that's definitely true. They, I'm trying, I can't pin the timeline down, but they had all in the DVD commentary come from seeing a production 
They say Washington, I assume Washington, D.C., and not Washington uh-huh. State, but I don't know, um, that they talk about a lot of those same things. That something about that production seemed to... <laughs> Lapine says, it's like seeing, you know, I have I wrote the show, and it's like seeing it all new again. Um, That's really interesting. And, like, moments I didn't remember happen. Um, and something about it seemed to hit a little more specifically like what they were going for um and they do talk a lot about the venue and the setup of like a broadway show in a thousand seat proscenium theater might not be where passion belongs yeah exactly and i I 100 don't don't think it should and it's it is an off-broadway show um obviously sondheim's name would propel it onto a broadway stage exactly and producers would be like, yes, yeah. but it's not necessarily the most appropriate thing yeah. for it. I um, bet you, that, I bet you 2017, it would do just fine. Do you think? I really do. Um, because... I wonder though, because I do not feel that producers and um, designers would feel compelled to give it its gimmick. I mean, what's its gimmick? The staircase? Um, no, but this is what I mean. As in like, I feel like nowadays uh-huh. to get onto the broadway stage you've got to have that thing yeah people talk about oh i think they i think they would but i think it would be done with care um i mean we were talking about this in the pre-show but the comparisons between passion and comet i think mm. are intrinsic um sung through deep love story based on a book but only kind of um mm-hmm. like I I think there's something about a contemporary Broadway audience that would latch onto this. Yeah. Oh no, I think they definitely enjoy it, but I I don't think it's populist. I don't yeah. think it's for everyone. I really don't, and it's not the show that I would be like. There's a lot of shows where I'd be like, "You'd love this. Go listen to it." Comet yeah. being one of them, actually. Yeah. Um. And sometimes people are like, "Yeah, it's fine," or like, "Oh, I love it." I don't think I've ever really had him. I was like, "Oh my god, I hate that." Whereas yeah. I can imagine some people still not yeah. getting it you know that's because, true because it's it's so it's just so intricate yeah. like i i've 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 been watching this for a long time and mm-hmm. i still am yeah. peeling things apart and I, it's... you know you you may i think you have convinced me there i do i i forgot um the first time i watched this i fell asleep um right no and i i i totally get that yeah the first because l- i listened to it casually in the background yeah and i was like and I, I latched onto like soldiers gossip. Yeah, exactly. Which like, is probably fun. yeah, that's, <laughs> it's the most songy song in the whole show. Um, the rest of it is like here's another ballad and another ballad. And like right, this is exactly you know I think we're really it's interesting that Sondheim did this you know so so late in his career because he got mm-hmm. he understands all the nuances of the form and like the musical machine. Um, mm-hmm. Like, he's not just making pieces of art that exist out in the ether. He understands that he's making pieces of art that, like, have producers and stages and stage managers and audiences and tickets and merchandise. Um, And still, um, (laughs) Alfred Hitchcock said the length of a contemporary movie should be directly related to the bladder capacity of an average American um, and shouldn't be longer. And, like, this show 
you know, apart from being affronting to the audience on an ideological kind of standpoint, is affronting yeah. to the audience on kind of a physical standpoint. Um, it's the same ballad. The same ballad, again, sung by a bunch of different other people, and then again, and the same tempo, and we're not going to give you a break, and we're not going to give you a comedic number, and we're not going to start tap dancing, and there's not going to be an 11 o'clock number where, like, you applaud, you know, before Absolutely. the leading lady goes into her second reprise with the kick line of Chorus Boys. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're, like, this show does the audience no favors, um, yeah, which is not at all. certainly a choice. Um, it's just an interesting one. Like completely, and I think that's what brings it so close to to being a straight play. Yeah, is that, and you know, if you think of something like Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, for right. example, yeah, um, where you're tightening this coil, yeah, and tightening and tight, and you just by the end of it, you are re- you're ready to go as an audience member, yeah, and then you get your payoff. Um, I feel the same, yeah, with, with this, yeah. It's, you aren't given that moment to breathe, and not in the sense because there obviously there are a lot of musicals yeah. out there that don't necessarily have those moments yeah but you do have moments to be like <sighs> i'm thinking yeah. of something like lame is yeah do you know what i mean yeah, yeah, yeah. sung through the, and, and then the but like then the tenardiers will show up and exactly. you can laugh for a and second. you're allowed to relax and it's yeah. all good you're not allowed to, to relax in the show to the point where because obviously with things like um soldiers gossip mm-hmm. um i would take i would take it out do you know yeah. what i mean yeah like particularly the the um right in the pocket one the yeah. billiards one yeah um it's very funny i think it's a great song but i agree it's not it it breaks it's important it's really it's kind of important to give the two of them a break to be off stage yes, for like 30 fair. seconds um, um but i i know skip it yeah yeah so that's weird that the one that the first one that i ever honed in on yeah i know can't be bothered with because yeah. i'm like Take me to Fosca. <laughs> you know, I will say, I wonder if this has something to do with it too. So you're, to your point of Virginia Woolf, um, and they do this in a lot of straight plays where it's like, mm-hmm. we're going to make you feel tense and awful and tense and like winding up that coil till you get yeah. that release moment. Yeah. Um, on, so the second time I watched this with the commentary on, yeah. Sondheim and Lapine point out something that I never would have noticed and I wonder if you've noticed. After the duel... Yep. Giorgio shoots the captain. Yep. And then falls down and screams. Yes. You've noticed this moment? Yes. Does it stick out to you as anything special? So I've read um, what it's supposed to represent. Okay. But I don't think in that production it does. It doesn't. Um, And they talk about how they could never get it to land. But the idea is we've spent the whole show watching Fosca have these emotional outbursts whenever the world, you know, it starts with when she sees the coffin in the distance and like the impending idea that death is a thing affects her so emotionally that she collapses to the floor with a scream. And that is Fosca's disease is that she feels, um, and it doesn't matter how we see the duel Giorgio and Fosca had, you know, been intimate previously do i have that timeline right um and by that time yeah yeah giorgio has caught the disease from fosca of feeling um and that that's a really powerful metaphor because if you're tying fosca's physical frailty to her disease of loving too much um Uh and like all of the subtlety that that entails and giorgio's inability to understand that um until later in the show and then he 
shoots this person and feels so awful about the world in this way and like then you know that's what like that plays out the rest of the show he's got a fever and has these nervous breakdowns yeah um he caught the ability to love and to feel that pain in that really specific scream moment but as you said it doesn't land as sondheim and lapine say it never landed they never got it to translate the way they wanted it to and maybe if it had that would be the you know when the coil suddenly explodes like that's when you're supposed to feel it that's supposed to be the catharsis of the whole show is right there but it doesn't work something about it doesn't work and it's not that it can't work um i don't think but it's like in the original production they hadn't figured it out i wonder if they had figured it it out if it would still be playing yeah it's, yeah, I find it really interesting. I think that's actually one of the. It comes to where one of the issues I have with the, the show, mm-hmm. is is that is that ending and, and this idea that he catches, whatever it is. Yeah, and that's a bit odd to me from a scientific standpoint. Right. Yes. Because I... I'm looking at it and I'm like, yes, but give me a diagnosis, please, doctor. Like, right. Do you know what I mean? And it. Yeah. To me, like... it's. I think I agree. And I think mm-hmm. that's, you know, when I go into my like script doctor mind, like that line the doctor has early on about, yep. um, you know, she doesn't have that layer of skin covering her nerves. Like, uh-huh. we got to drive that home a couple more times. We got to say, like, Fos- Fosca loves. Fosca loves differently than us. Uh-huh. Fosca feels things differently than us. Yeah. And that is the root of, you know, her misfortune. Like, if we're going to put it in their own phrasing. Um, and to, you know, like, in big blinky lights, be like, metaphor! Not a, you know, the doctor needs to say something like... Yeah, oh no, completely, completely. But I feel it's alluded to as an actual pathological right. thing. Yeah. Too much, almost. Yeah, you know exactly. I mean? um, it's, I... I, I because I think to kind of work out and peel apart what it is, you obviously have to go back into the flashback um, yeah. and, uh, you know, look at when it all started and it started mm-hmm. after she was, um, you know, deceived and um, kind of destroyed emotionally yeah. by um, a count who was only in it to basically get her, her dowry. Yeah. Um, and it was after he deceived her and left her with however much rent it was, the funny line. Right. Um, that she started to be sick and started yeah. to be ill. Um, so it comes from that moment of being, you know, deceived and, and this kind of, it, it does shred the skin off you. Yeah. Those moments. Yeah. Um, and so what I then get confused about is at the end where Giorgio gets this, uh-huh. what's the deception? What's the, right? you know, it's a different thing. Yeah. It's a different thing. Yeah. Um, because in many ways, it's all going right for them. Yeah, I mean, it's to have loved and then lost. Um, but, but I agree, he hasn't lost yet. That's the right. thing is she because and I find this again. I find this absolutely fascinating and, and kind of beautiful in a way. Um, so before um, uh, the end of Act One, mm-hmm. um, where they sing, "I wish I could forget you," that when she's dictating the letter. If mm-hmm. you have the beautiful moment in the bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, he, you know, he's gone to her because she's dying because he's rejected her. Yeah. And it's just, it's affected her. This rejection, again, has affected her so much that yeah. she's going to die. And yeah. he comes in yeah. um, 
and tells her what she needs to hear at that moment. Yeah. Um, and she's healed again and, and she's she's kind of brought back from the brink. Yeah. And what I love about that is I'm just like, how much of it is real? How much right. of it is her concoction? Yeah. How much of it is just psychological? Yeah. I mean, what we wildness. what we need is like a line from Tom Aldridge early on where he says, like, yeah, her I may be a doctor, but it seems I can't help her. Her disease seems to be much less of the body and much more much of, of the, the mind. The, right. and that's exactly something it, like that will like fix a whole bunch of things. And I wonder if that's a product of its time. You know, obviously we're only really understanding mental illness as right. a world yeah. in the past like ten years. Yeah. Um, you know, so back in the 90s, yeah. you know, they weren't, they, they recently thought that AIDS was a ridiculous, you know, right. stupid thing that only happened to certain individuals. Um, it, it, you know, it, they weren't ready to kind of accept yeah. that this world of mental health. So I feel like it's, it's kind of in that, it's on its way. Yeah. Do yeah. You know I mean, um, not, but the thing is, it's not an issue I have with it. I, I still feel right. that you can look at the art of it and look at yes, the metaphor, absolutely, and yeah. accept that completely. Yeah. Um, but it is. I mean, the stuff they talk about in this commentary, the stuff we talk about, the stuff I mm. see in the show. It's why I love musical theater, and it's why I forget yeah. who commented. I've been going through a bunch of old comments, but uh, like musicals are built out of these tiny choices, um, yes. and these like they make or break it. And if you can. Wrap your mind around that, um, like they the the staircase. Um, they moved. It was in a bunch of different positions every night. It was right. like closer to the little entrance or further away from the little entrance, or like how many stairs and like the they can make or break your show. Just yeah. these tiny it's moments. So true. It's so true. I, I I mean, obviously, I've only really really worked in the Amdram sector, but. And you never really get previews, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. You just like things. go, so yeah. You just change it and then hope that on your last night, you yeah, it's it. good. It's like, yeah, That's exactly. It. There's the show. Okay, yeah. let's tear the set down, guys. Um, <laughs> but it's it is it's so true that these little tiny choices you make of just like move in this way, cut yeah. that move, yeah. like just these tiny little things can change the dynamic of the entire show, the whole show. Yeah, you know. Yep. Um, so very fascinating yeah i will say i wonder i don't think this is a change that should be made um but i wonder if so like picture that dueling section yeah do something to make fosca's relationship with um her cousin a little more meaningful maybe a little bit um Mm -hmm. and you know they're going out for the duel and like maybe we're diving into two uh, cliche kind of here but I think there is some cliche in this whole show and like Fosca runs out or whatever and accidentally and, and gets shot yeah, yeah 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 that's like so I, when the first the very first time I listened to it mm-hmm. that's what I thought was going to happen I was like oh yeah. she's gonna get shot isn't she yeah um, and she doesn't and she doesn't no she never knows that it happened and I'm very glad about that yeah because if it did happen it would be like called it and yep. it would have ruined the whole show for me yeah I'm like oh you beat me interesting yeah. okay yeah. cool yeah. Do you know, and so I love that. Yeah. No, it's interesting. There's a lot of interesting choices in the show. And they all come straight from Absolutely. the movie, too. So, you know. Yeah, well, that's it. So Who don't name Sondheim. How dare you? <laughs> I'm not talking to you. I'm talking. I was looking at my microphone. I know. No, yes. I'm just talking to the, the populace. Yeah. Um, Our Sondheim <laughs> blamers out there. Oh, they're everywhere. You race you from my mind. 
But ever since I met you, I find I cannot leave the thought of you behind. That doesn't mean I love you. That doesn't mean I love you. I wish that I could love you. I know that I've upset you. I know I've been unkind. I wanted you to vanish from sight, but now I see you in a different light. And though I cannot love you, I wish that I could love you. For now I'm seeing love like none I've ever known. A love as pure as breath, as permanent as death, implacable as stone. A love that, like a knife, has cut into a life I wanted left alone. A love I may regret, but one I can't forget. Okay, Tommy, I just want to make a little brief shout out because I've been going on a while. Uh-huh. Um, this podcast represents passion. There's no time to <laughs> re- relax here. Just relentless conversation. Um, but I want to give a shout out to Mr. Jonathan Tunick. Jonathan Tunick. Orchestrator extraordinaire. Orchestrator extraordinaire. Yeah. So you might, you know, you might not know who he is. And you might think, hey, that's Stephen Sondheim. Oh my God, he's so good. He's perfect. Um, we owe him everything. No, you mm-hmm. don't. You owe him about 50%. Yep. <laughs> Maybe, you know, 33.3 repeated percent. Because he... the big writer is sometimes very good. Yeah. yeah. Um, to me, Jonathan Tunick is the genius behind the genius. Yep. He's... The god behind God. So he has orchestrated every Sondheim show since Company? I think so, yeah. There may um... have been like... Maybe one or two here and there, but uh-huh. by and large, including the including the movies, um, including the movies, including in- the revivals. Every revival. So every time you like listen to a revival, and you're like, "Oh, that orchestration sounds entirely different." Jonathan Tunick did both. Exactly, exactly. So when you're Jimmy Mitchell and you complain <laughs> that the um, actor musical revival of Sweeney Todd just isn't as good, you don't have a leg to stand on, Jimmy Mitchell. <laughs> Because it yeah. was the same guy. Um, but I still do because it's not as good. Yeah. Um, but we owe him a lot. And he's also, I mean, he's also done things like um, Titanic, one yep. of the best scores in existence. Mm-hmm. Um, Phantom, not of the opera, just Phantom, just Phantom. by yeah. Eston, um, which is much better and beautifully <laughs> orchestrated. Mm-hmm. Other things as well. The Chorus Line Revival. Yep. Oh my God. Like, he's sensational, this man. Mm-hmm. Because and the reason I, the reason I, I think passion is a good one to talk about is instrumentally mm-hmm. there are so many beautiful little moments yeah. that are just so so illustrative. Now I'm not a musician, so I can't talk about this with any sort of authority or knowledge. Uh-huh. But 
I can use I can put on my like standard grade music hat and uh-huh. analyze away. Um, but like for example, just as a nice easy one, right? Uh-huh. Um, when Fosca enters mm-hmm. and she speaks to him for the first time and thanks him for the books, um, and she says her first thing about um, how she lives in melancholy. Mm-hmm. And then you get this oboe, this descending oboe, and it goes as low as an oboe can go. Yeah. Right to the bottom of the scale. And you're just introduced and you're like, you're, you're just sitting in your boots here. Yeah. And you're like, God, who is this woman? And you it sets I mean? you and up. Been, exactly. You've been taken right down. Yeah. And then very gently in comes the... But you know what I'm talking about. I didn't read to think... And in comes that moment and you're set and you're hooked and you're like, well, who is this mysterious woman? Mm-hmm. And it's not, Sondheim has done that, yeah. but it's Jonathan Tunick that has made you feel that. Yeah. In or many, many ways. Let's say another thing I learned from Steve's own mouth, um, when he was composing this show, I don't know if uh-huh. you know this, Jimmy, he wanted the show to both begin and end with an orgasm. Um, as in literally? As in like those... Direct quote. I wanted the show to begin and end with an orgasm, but you know there are some problems with that because, like, uh, yeah, we like we'd, there a whole bunch of plot needs to happen at the end after Fosca has sex, so we can't really end with an orgasm. Like, it got complicated, but we did begin with an orgasm. If you listen mm-hmm. to the very first music you hear, knowing that, yeah, it sounds like an orgasm. Interesting, because it, it's it, drums. It's the drums at the start. It's it's there's drums and some other stuff going on. You just uh-huh. got to listen to it. It's okay. Interesting. Like once you know that, oh oh yes, <laughs> amazing. Yeah, and um, that's that's Jonathan Tunick. There you go, and that's it. You know, it really and and Sondheim talks about it as well. I put in there's a Masterworks Broadway little clip, mm-hmm. um, and I want to hear him speak about it more because to me it's so integral. Yeah, and this is something that I you know we we kind of started to talk about with Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, and anything goes but it's I find it really fascinating like the role that an orchestrator plays in musical theatre yeah because to me in some ways they end up being more important than the composer yeah it's like the composer says it's, it's kind of like the director-writer relationship yeah you know? I would think that's an apt comparison because the writer's words are in stone but the yeah, ri- and director's saying, this is, this, yeah. is the, this is the path you're going to travel yeah. and your director colors in that path. Yeah. And the composer does the exact same thing. It's like, this is how we're going to tell the story. Yeah. Um, and the orchestrator colors it in. It gives it shade. Um, yeah. And so Sondheim talks about um, his relationship with his orchestrators, who principally are John Tunick. Um, and he's like, what I am really pleased that I can do to give someone like Jonathan Tunick, who has such a theatrical awareness, mm-hmm. is give them basically the meat that they can devour and that they can really sink their teeth into. This mm-hmm. isn't a, this isn't an anything goes. This isn't a make it sound fun. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. evoke the feeling of melancholy. Right. Do you know what I mean? In this woman but, who's at the end of her life. But not so explicitly that like your audience gets pulled out of the moment. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um and it's it is completely masterful. Yeah. Um so just have to you have to check them out because they're complete unsung heroes. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's especially I mean, this man. Like yeah. you know, you look through his repertoire and you're like, oh my god, I love it. Oh my god, I love it. Like the score yeah. to Sweeney Todd is one of 
my favorites and it's all in the orchestration choices mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's why i get really offended by the the patty lapone one because i'm just like i've missed so much it's not the same show uh, i'm in but it for the violins it's the, the um, same orchestrator it is the same one, but he's doing different things with it. Thomas. That's true. He is. You you did not mention my favorite of Jonathan Tunick's work. He was serious composer on season eight and season nine of Murder She Wrote. Well, <laughs> well, there. You, so can you cast your mind? You're an expert. Cast yeah. your mind to season eight, season nine. I mean, is it different? So, like, not that. And, like, you joke, but actually, the underscoring in season eight and season nine, because Murder, She Wrote has a full orchestral score, um, is wonderful. (laughs) It actually does stand out as being very, very good. I love it. Yeah. I absolutely love it. There you go. And, like, you just, like, literally, just hop onto, like, in fact, well, show note is, um, is rep. Yeah. you'll scroll down you're like oh i love that. you're like oh, oh that oh, oh that oh no way he's done really? fifty thousand things yeah exactly he's always and he's still working very interestingly did you know he's he's an egot winner he jonathan tunick is an egot there's only so many people right sondy's not even an egot no not yet not yet that's why we need that new show Come on, Sunday. Actually, not what really. Are you playing at? He doesn't need to win a Tony. That's not. That would not actually help things. <laughs> what? Son- yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, that's, like- true. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, what could he do? Uh, what's What's he probably missing? What is he missing? Uh, I bet you an he's got. Emmy. He's got an Academy Award. He's got, he's got a Tony Award. Does he have? A- I bet you he's missing. He's an got Emmy. a Grammy. Oh, he's got obviously. A- yeah. So he needs an Emmy. Yeah. Oh. Television. I don't think that's going to happen. See if, um, because like Evening Primrose was made for TV, yeah, and it didn't do very well. And no, kinda... but if that did win, would that have been eligible for an Emmy? Or because it's a made for TV movie, would that be? Uh, if it's not on stage, I don't understand the rules. Okay, yeah, same. Sorry, <laughs> oh. but someone will know, won't they? Someone yeah. will know out there. Yeah. Um, interesting. So, how can he win an Emmy? What can we do? Um, we'll stage an elaborate George Clooney-inspired heist where we sneak in to the Emmy vault, um, wearing all black, of course. I'll descend from the skylight. Um, you'll spray the powder so I can see where the laser beams are. Yep. And then we steal the Emmy, and then yep. we hide it under Stephen Sondheim's pillow. But that won't mean he will have won it. Shh. That means he will have obtained it. This is a flawless plan. Okay, we'll go with that. We'll start <laughs> with that anyway. And then eventually <laughs> he'll, he'll get there. Um, so there you go. Egot winning, Jonathan Tunick. He's the master of music theatre. He's the reason why you love music theatre. It's true. So well done him. Shout out. Because we need to honor these unsung heroes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's you know, that's why we, that's why we do this thing, Jimmy. That's why we it have a musical Tony. theater podcast. It <laughs> is indeed. I'm someone to be loved. I'm someone to be loved. And that I learned from you. So far inside my mind, but 
So Thomas, that was passion. That was passion. passion. Jimmy, if you listen to the DVD commentary for this, uh-huh. um, someone informs Sondheim. Wait, you've listened to the DVD commentary? I might have. That I, <laughs> um, the someone mentions to Sondheim that in they're talking about how the original Broadway production is the only one to do full nudity. Um, uh-huh, no one else seemed to have done that um, on the West End. I forget who uses the phrase, but they use the phrase screwing doggy style. Um, and Sondheim's immediate reaction is like, oh, well, we should have changed the orchestrations to be lower. That orgasm should have been in the basses. <laughs> it gives you, gives you flavor of what this commentary is like. Absolutely beautiful. <laughs> I, so, I love it when Sondheim gets sassy. <laughs> oh, it's the best. I really hope also that it was Maria Friedman that said screwing doggy style. Uh that's a good question. I don't know. That would make me really happy if it was, just because, just the idea of her saying it. She doesn't look like the kind of person to say that. <laughs> Should we say that much? Oh, so Maria Friedman's um, sister is Sonia Friedman, who produces all of the good theatre in the West End. Just a fun factoid. Oh, there you go. There are Keenan Boulders. There are. There are. <laughs> that sounds like a, an avant-garde movie. Um <laughs> What are Keenan Bulgers? There are Keenan Bulgers. So, Tommy, excited for what we're going to be doing next I'm, week? I'm really excited, actually. Give you a clue, it's not going to be another Sondheim. Dang, I'm less not excited. Not twice in one month, dude. You can't uh, really have too much of a good thing. Yeah, how dare someone talk about Sondheim an entire month? That would be ridiculous. That's oh, a disgusting concept. People Absolutely are weird. Absolutely disgusting. <laughs> Unless they did like a flawless impression of him, right? Yes, one hundred spot on. You're like that must be Stephen Sondheim. Yeah, to the nail. Um, <laughs> so I've got a quiz question. You ready? I'm excited. I'm really excited. Excellent. This show has seen substantial rewrites for its school's version, including the entire rewriting of one of its songs. The creators have said that they actually like the new song better than the original and might just include it in all licensable future versions. What show? What a choice. Mm, I dun, know. Dun, dun. Idiots. If you want to get in contact with us, I'm Musical Mash on Twitter and Musical Theatre Mash on YouTube. And I am Asin Hendricks on Twitter and YouTube. And our show Twitter is Jim and Tomic, or you can go to our website, jimandtomic.com, which has a link to the Reddit thread. 
talk with us discuss the show it'll be great exactly we're on fire over there reddit it's just great people are creating reddit accounts all over the place we gotta stop drop and roll we're on fire that much exactly um let it be you make your reddit account today um and please tell, go and tell your friends all about us and yeah little podcast most of most of our listeners hear about us through friends i'm really starting to notice that so you know absolutely that's it, a great way to help us out it'd be nice and we shall see you next week tataloo 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 you're a marvel tataloo tataloo maybe that's the origin of tataloo uh, probably. <laughs> hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply.